Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Animals using different senses to help them navigate and understand the world. Now we understand bats use echolocation to navigate, but what happens if you change the way sound itself works? Can they still navigate? And we know sharks can sense electric currents, but can they use magnetism for navigation? We look at a couple of tales of creatures using different senses to help them understand the world. Now one of the things it takes to be a successful predator is a keen awareness of your surroundings and an ability to track and detect prey in any type of conditions you might be faced with to be able to discern subtle clues and movements that might give you a better chance at scoring a tasty meal. Now, humans have a lot of successful senses that we rely on. We also rely on intuition and experience and tools to help us hunt. Other creatures use different senses. And one of the amazing senses that we've been seeing not only in predatory animals, but also, say, migratory animals, is magnetoreception. Now, the actual mechanism for how magnetism, magnetic fields, are detected and these signals received and processed by a creature, this is an area of hotly contested debate, and there's no real clear evidence for one way or another, at least in most creatures. And we know bacteria can even align themselves with magnetic fields, and they rely on proteins to help them do that. Now, that that kind of cryptochromes chemical basis for detecting magnetic fields is possible in other animals. Other idea is that perhaps you rely on clusters of iron using that strong magnetism to try and sort of guide or influence, perhaps in a large concentration of the central nervous system that could create some kind of sensing system. Thing is, we haven't seen that ever, so we don't know if that's really the case. But the other third possible source, at least in animals, of detecting magnetism and having it influenced is a phenomenon that can be seen, a form of electromagnetic induction that's used by sharks, by stingrays, by cartilaginous fish. These possess a kind of unique electroreceptive organ. So not magnetism, but because electricity and magnetism are linked, we actually get and see the ability of these creatures to detect magnetism. The organ is known as the ampullae of Lorenzini, and it can detect a, a really slight variation in electric potential. This organ, this ampullae, is a sac of mucus-filled canals that connect from the skin's pores to small sacs inside the animal's flesh that are also filled with mucus. And using the change in potential, you can detect basically weak flux and weak electric fields. This is pretty cool, and when we talk about Sharks, for example, being able to sense electricity, this is what we're talking about. But because magnetism and electricity are linked through Faraday's law, that it stands to reason, of course, that these would also be able to detect not just variation in electric field, but also variation in magnetic field, and thus flux, and thus magnetism. Now, so... We know that sharks are powerful, uh, super powerful predators. We know that they're capable of doing a lot of amazing things in water. But are they capable of sensing magnetism? And if they do, how do they use this magnetism? Do they use it just to detect prey, detect those weak electric pulses and use that to guide their actions? Or do they use it like we hypothesize that other creatures use magnetic fields? Do they use it to migrate 
and track their motion on, say, a global setting. And the reason why we're interested in this is because it's pretty easy to investigate different types of, say, fish or lizards, salamanders, that use magnetoreception to guide themselves. Now, an example in the case of detecting an animal that likes aligning itself to a magnetic field is the Chinook salmon. Now, this has been shown through detailed studies to actually have a preference in order to detect a change in magnetic field. So a group of these salmon, for example, were housed in a rectangular tank with water flowing from west to east for 18 months. And they were fed exclusively at the west end of the tank during this period. Then they placed them not in a rectangular tank, but a circular one. So one with no edges, no, no corners. And they changed the water flow to be a symmetrical flow profile. What they saw is that the fish still aligned themselves east-west which made sense. They, they lined up basically with a magnetic or cardinal type of east-west direction. But if they changed the magnetic field, say rotated it by 90 degrees, well, the salmon too stopped swimming east-west and started swimming north-south. This is pretty amazing because it shows how these fish were aligning themselves to a magnetic field. And this has been seen in other instances where these creatures can, uh, certain types of fish different aquatic species can use magnetic fields to help them find their way back to shore. When you see a change in water temperature, like say in the red spotted newts, when they see a water temperature increase, they start to head towards the shoreline and head towards land. And when you try and alter the magnetic field, all of a sudden these newts lose the ability to get themselves back to the shore, which indicates that they're clearly using some form of magnetism to help guide them in their migration. Now, we can talk about these as specific cases where they've actually managed to do detailed tests, but this could be potentially used in all kinds of creatures from migratory paths. Again, hard to prove, but it's our working hypothesis, like for how homing pigeons and other creatures navigate. So, can sharks do the same thing to navigate the Earth's oceans and not just detect prey? So researchers from Florida State University have just published in the journal Current Biology, lead authors being Brian Keller, contributing authors being Putman, Grubbs, Portney and Murphy. And what they were studying was the way that sharks can use magnetic fields much in the same way as fish or maybe migratory turtles to help them navigate. The thing is, the scientists have been puzzling for years how sharks manage to successfully navigate across the world to migrate so efficiently, effectively from one location to the next, from breeding grounds to feeding grounds, depending on the season. They had such a finely tuned navigation system. As Keller puts it, they use the Earth's magnetic field to help them find their way. It's nature's GPS. Now, the problem is you can have this hypothesis and you can have this idea, but until you come with proof and some evidence, well, you have to try and gather a lot of data to back up this claim, even though it might seem quite intuitive and to be like what we expect and understand from other species. Now, researchers have shown that some species of shark travel incredibly long distances to reach incredibly precise locations, and they get to the same spot year after year after year. So either the sharks have an amazing mapping system that we don't know about, 
or they're using some other clue to guide them there. As we talked about earlier, we know that sharks can be electrosensitive. And if they can be electrosensitive, well, they can be magnetically sensitive. So we know these two facts. Sharks can migrate really precisely over long distances. And, well, they have the ability potentially to detect magnetic fields. So it's been speculated, but not been tested. Because the challenge is finding a way to actually test sharks to see if this can hold up. A bit harder than putting some salmon in a tank. The reason, as Keller states, it's very difficult because sharks are so difficult to study. That's why this question has been standing for over 50 years. Now, when you think about a shark, if you're Australian like me, you think of great whites or maybe tiger sharks. In any case, they're pretty big. Even the cartoonish hammerhead shark is still reasonably large. So to study sharks and study a population of sharks and their ability to navigate, you would need a smaller amount. They need to use the smaller sharks. So they would need to have a shark that migrated, but wasn't too big. And that's where they came up with the idea of studying the Symphia tuburu, the bonnethead shark. Now bonnethead sharks return to the same estuary each year. So they have an idea about home and they are able to navigate back to that home, even when it's far away. So the question is whether or not these bonnetheads were relying on magnetic fields to guide them. So they went out into the estuaries and caught 20 of these juvenile bonnethead sharks. And these are all wild bonnetheads, so they're, they're not tainted potentially by any exposure to a laboratory environment. And they're juveniles, so they haven't been built into years of habit. So we're looking at really their ability to sense. They then exposed these sharks to magnetic conditions representing locations hundreds of kilometers away from where the sharks were actually caught. And this would enable them to say, if they had got this homing signal down pat, they could make predictions about where the shark would orient themselves depending on the magnetic field that they exposed them to. Think about it another way. If you're normally used to facing east when the sun rises, and if we twist and spin you around and place you and move your whole house, then all of a sudden your front door is no longer pointing east, it's pointing south, well, you'd still think that if you go out the front door, you're going to be looking at the sun, even though that may not be the case. This is what they were more or less doing with magnetic fields. If the sharks derive the positional information from the Earth's magnetic field, this geomagnetic field, then research predicted northern orientation when they were exposed to a southern magnetic field and southward orientation when they were exposed to a northern magnetic field. And there's a shark attempted to orient itself to its new position that it found itself in. And they predicted no orientation preference when the sharks were exposed to the magnetic field that matched where they were captured, i.e. if the shark thought it was where it was before, it's not going to try and move itself to align itself. And what they found is that this pretty much matched up to exactly how they anticipated. The sharks orientated themselves depending on the magnetic field. And this is interesting because what they're using here is the Earth's magnetic field. Because, you know, if a shark can make a 20,000 kilometer round trip around continents, they've got to be using something to guide them. And their ability to sense and, and detect magnetic fields the Earth's magnetic field in particular is clearly being used in this case for orientation, but is likely then also used to help undertake these tremendous migratory journeys. Now, this is some amazing research done from Florida State University and published in the journal Current Biology, which shows just how incredible sharks are using not only all of their senses to help them catch prey, but also migrate large distances 
through the aid of electrosensory slash magnetic sensory organs that help them navigate using the Earth's magnetic field. So from one tale of creatures using their senses to navigate and find their way home, to another tale about creatures that use their senses and also produce strange noises to help them navigate through the world, hunt prey, and in general, just live and survive. Bats, as you may know, use echolocation. And the principle of echolocation is quite simple. You make a noise, you wait for it to bounce off an object and come back to your ears. Now, bats use different types of echolocation calls, as we've talked about previously on this podcast. Some general broad spectrum ones, and then when they're hunting really tiny prey, they whisper softly and generate really quiet, soft noises that bounces off really small objects, rather than the broad spectrum general navigation. In other event, they rely on echolocation. And they use the time it takes for the sound to come back to them to know how far away something is. Now, this is all well and good. Ultrasound waves travel through the medium, that medium being air. Now, of course, there are some slight problems with this. Because, as you know anything about waves of any type, they need a medium to travel through. If that's air, it'll take a pretty standard time for it to bounce back. Sound travels at a fixed rate through a medium like air, more or less. It can be a bit more nuanced than that depending on pressure and a number of other conditions, but let's just call the speed of sound as a pretty static constant, at least in the realm of bats. Now, what happens if instead of traveling through air, it traveled through something else? How would a bat cope? Its entire world and the scale of distance would crumble. Now, this is a question that researchers from Tel Aviv University have been diving into and just published a paper in the Presidium of the National Academy of Sciences. Now, researchers involved in this were Professor Yossi Evel and Dr. Erana Amakai. Now, what they were digging into was this question of whether or not bats actually understand the concept of the speed of sound. Because if they're doing all this arithmetic to know just how far away that little moth in front of them is, or that large wall or tree branch, they need to know what that time delay translates to in a physical distance sense. So since they're using these sonar waves, they need to estimate of the position. Now, in normal environmental conditions, air composition or temperature, there's like a 10% variation between the speed of sound at the height of summer when the air is hot and the sound waves spread faster, and then in the winter season, now, researchers have tried to figure out, for at least the last 80 years that we've known that they use sonar, the researchers have been trying to determine if they are born with some sort of inent calculation inside their heads, or it's like some kind of constant sense that's doing all this translation. Now, the simplest way to test this, at least that they could think of, is to take some bats and raise them from the time of their birth in a different medium, a helium-enriched environment where the speed of sound is not marginal 10% higher, it's much higher than normal. And in this experiment where they were manipulating the speed of sound effectively, 
and they did this not just for birth but also some control group with adult bats. Either the adults nor the bat pups were able to adjust to this new speed of sound. And whenever they tried to get somewhere, they consistently landed just in front of their target. In fact, they perceived the target to be closer than it actually was. And they didn't adjust their behavior to that new higher speed of sound. Now, both the adult bats that had learned to fly in normal environmental conditions then all of a sudden found themselves in this strange new world of a helium-enriched environment. They couldn't cope, but that made sense. They were the control. But the juvenile bats, the bats were raised from birth in this helium-rich environment, they also had exactly the same problem. And that means that the concept of perception for these bats is not a nurture thing. There is something hardwired in there. That means that this rate of the speed of sound must be an innate characteristic for them. And what they learned from this as well is that the bats don't actually calculate the distance to the target. And like I was talking about, they weren't doing the math. They actually just perceived the world in a sense of time, not distance. That moth is nine milliseconds away. That wall is 10 seconds away. And this is why they were falling short. Because everything was coming back faster, that whole sense of time was just completely thrown out. Now, this might seem like a pretty absurd question. But it's an important one to show that how things we can often take for granted in our environment, the concentration of gas in our atmosphere, the pressure, the temperature, the moisture content, ecosystems, creatures, all coping and evolutionary strategies, all designed around a certain niche. And when that niche changes, well, you can see very different results. You only have to recall the Olympic Games or other sporting competitions that occur at higher elevations, just to see how much of a difference a small change in atmospheric pressure can have. And it's the same for bats. Completely changing the gas concentration on them changes their whole world. Everything is now too fast, and it's very difficult for them to adapt, even if they're raising it from birth. It would take time evolutionary for them to adapt to this new niche and learn to compensate for it and overcome this innate sense that they had. This is a fascinating work published in the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences by Professor Yoshi Yovel and Dr. Ran Amakai. And it goes to show just how much we can learn about environmental adaption from bats and what it can teach us about living and understanding the world, not in distance, but in time. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From strange adaptations to echolocation in new environments, plus the way sharks use magnetism to help them navigate long distances. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.